0: Welcome to Be Lifted Up. Be Lifted Up with the Successpert, award-winning financial educator, wealth expert, speaker and author, Alfred Edmund Jr.
1: and your co-host, life coach and author, D Marshall. It's Be Lifted Up. Be
0: Lifted Up. Welcome to Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. My normal co-host, my regular co-host, the unduplicable DC Marshall is not here but she did something great. She got us another boss lady to fill in for her. <laughs> My co-host, Kamika Smith, Dr. Kamika Smith, founder of the Boss Network. Kamika,
2: glad yes. you're with us. Listen, I'm Go blessed on. to be here. I'm blessed to be here. It's a good day.
0: <laughs> Listen, you're doing a lot of of amazing things with the Boss Network. You've been a guest on Be Lifted Up. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it, And and you're a a powerful young woman of faith, so it's it's great to have you on the show. But listen, we're going to be talking today, uh, and and I don't want to reveal the guest until after we get into the first break, because he's he's a really special guest, but this idea of being blessed to be a blessing Mm -hmm. is what we're going to be talking about for this show. And and that's something that, that, even if you weren't raised in the church, but certainly if you were raised in a faith community, you heard that all your life, and it's almost like, yeah, 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 yeah. But this is about trying to bring real meaning to that phrase. I mean, what what, what, is, what does that mean to you?
2: Listen, you know, I, I feel like for me, as a especially as a leader, you know, in my community, it has been, you know, um, my journey of helping other people. And through that, God has blessed me. So even in those moments where I feel like, oh, this is not happening, that's not happening, you know, he sends a ram in the bush, as they would say. And it always works out because the work that I'm doing Is to uplift the kingdom. And so when you do that type of work, there is no limit to how you'll be blessed. And so I just stand on that principle that as long as I'm doing God's will and I'm blessing other people, that He's going to take care of me.
0: Yes. For sure. Yes. Kamika. Yes. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics what it means to be blessed, to be a blessing, in part because that's not a topic, that's not a place you ever really get to. Like there's always more to do to fulfill Mm -hmm. that purpose, God's purpose for our creation. No matter how old we are, no matter where we are in life, no matter what we do for a living, kind of keeping our minds on that topic is kind of a North Star for making yes. decisions, especially in rough times when you think, um, you know, things are going bad. Um, and you talk about I don't have anything to be grateful for. I know during the pandemic, one of the most important things for me during the pandemic and the isolation period was figuring out what I could do to help and yes. what could I do to do for others as opposed to focusing what, what I was going through. So, I mean, you created an organization yeah, that's all about you blessing now mm. over the last 15 years, almost thousands mm. of people. Right, know. exactly. But, but, but you know, talk about that experience with the Boss Network.
2: Well, I love, I, love, I love what you talked about when you said, you know, in times of hardship, how to still be a blessing, right? Because the word says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord and finds great delight in his commands. And so I'm always trying to, you know, look at what does God want from me and how can I operate in that space and continue to do the things that he's called me to do and i will say during covid was a, a rich opportunity for us all kind of you know everybody talked about the shifting you know and, and all these things that were happening um, but it gave me an opportunity to be still because a lot of the things that i did before and many of us you know the traveling the you know being busy like everything was kind of to a halt and so it forced me to kind of lean in to my faith and say okay how can i show up in this season differently and in a bigger way. And so that's when I created the Boss Impact Fund because I saw so many Black businesses that were struggling, particularly the women that I serve in my community, which are Black women entrepreneurs. And so, you know, I said, okay, I've been empowered, I've inspired, I've done conferences, I've you know spoken at everything. What else can I do in this season? And God planted a seed in me to be able to raise capital to provide funding because we all know, you know, you can have a great vision, a great idea, but if you don't have capital to create and make it happen. You know, you're really just kind of like, you know, setting yourself up for failure. So I wanted to be a part of the answer and the solution to helping black women get funding. And so that's how the Boss Impact Fund was born.
0: And you know, see, it's human, and and, and meaning it's human to think in periods of isolation, lack, as we went through during the pandemic, many of us to Mm -hmm. think about how how can I get, you know, where where's my blessing? And it's human. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just human, but it's divine to say. Let me not just focus on what I'm not getting. Let me focus on what I can do for others who need. And your creation of this uh, institution, I think it's going to be an institution, to bless other women entrepreneurs, it it speaks to who you are as a woman of God. So I'm not surprised. But listen, we have the perfect guest to talk about, blessed to be a blessing. And I mean, he's an attorney. He's a Broadway producer. He's an author. He's an entrepreneur um he's you know been active with gospel music artists and music and film artists i mean mm-hmm. I'm, I'm learning more about this brother and i'm like this guy's blessing all over the place yes. but you know we, we are here to be graced by james l walker jr james good to see you welcome to be lifted up
1: hey man good to see you and gwen and dr kamika it's it's an honor to be here with three people, or two I know very well, and one person who is really doing great work from what I heard there in the introduction. So it's an honor to meet you, Dr. Kamika. That's what we're all about here in Atlanta.
0: You know, James, um, tell your story a little bit about who you are. I mean, you're James Walker Attorney of Law, mm-hmm. and often when people get to know you, and I know um, the creator of our show, Gwen, know, knows you. She knew you in one capacity. I've known sure. you during my time at Black Enterprise, But when, but I'm looking at you know, what Gwen shared with us to prepare for this show. And, you know, Broadway producer and author
1: you know, I, I I
0: don't know if I knew all those facets of you during the time that we know
1: each other. Alfred, it's funny. I was sitting with a young man last week, and I'll answer your question this way. And he's a producer, songwriter, MD, travels with a lot of major artists, wrote with a lot of big time people. And we were sitting over dinner last week, and he said, How do I put together kind of my income streams? boxes so i pulled out a napkin and i started boxing out for him okay well first we'll do the artist stream then we'll do the producer stream then we'll do the songwriter stream then we'll do the md stream then we'll do the work you do with the churches so we all these boxes and to make the point i said so for example i have my place i have my museum i have my law firm i have my publishing side and as i did that i realized in that minute i said wow god has blessed me with seven or eight different lanes Wow. And I didn't realize it until having dinner, because when you're like knee deep in it, you don't even think about it. You just get up and say, OK, what does the museum need? What does the play need? What does the law firm need? What does the publishing side need? What do my kids need with their real estate? What does this need? And you don't even take time to realize we probably collectively have somewhere between three to four hundred people on payroll in the various business that I own a piece of, whether I'm the majority owner like the law firm or whether I'm a minority owner like the museum or the plays or whether I'm a majority owner like the real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't think about that because you put people in place to do what they do. And for years, I would read your articles, Alfred, at Black Enterprise, and I would think, how do these guys do this? Like, mm-hmm. how do we have this company and an LLC over here and a management team here and a golf trip here? <laughs> now we're doing that. It just kind of happened by osmosis. Um, and we didn't realize it, but that's how God is. If you would have told me a year ago, We would have four or five shows up on Broadway, two in London, and a museum at Times Square, and the top, I think, jazz album out, a couple top R&B albums out, pop albums out, of course, gospel, our baby, and people on TV producing films and TV shows. I would have said you were crazy. And four great kids. On top of it all, one practicing law at Kirkland Ellis, which is number one firm. You can see the proud dad moment. One at Kirkland Ellis. And one about to go to Kirkland Ellis, my second year daughter just informed me she'll be going to Kirkland Ellis this summer as an intern. And she won some kind of big $50,000 grant as a diversity student, whatever, whatever. So the two kids there and then one older and one playing baseball at Eastern, which just won the World Series, the College Baseball World Series for D3. So if you would have told me a year ago we would be sitting here, I would have probably said no way. There's no way I could juggle all of that. But God has lined it up where we have good people and they stay on top of everything. I just read my report from the museum. I can see how the museum is doing. I just read my ticket sales for Piano Lesson. We've sold out every show this week. I'm getting ready to probably get a report from London at some point, the events ticket sales. And of course, my law firm gives me an update every day from the paralegals and executive assistants here that update me on, you know, these are the new clients. These are the invoices going out. This is where you need to be in court. You have to submit yourself. We talk a lot about submission and Christianity. Mm-hmm. Submission really comes to even on the work side. If you're working with people, you have to submit to a system. And for so many years, that was hard for me to do. I wanted to make my own calendar. I wanted to make my own schedule. I wanted to just be in on every you know phone call. And about five or six years ago, my staffers came to me and said, hey, let us take all of this off of you. You just come to work suit and tie and we'll tell you where you're supposed to be. And the first year I was still kind of planning stuff with Alfred and then Alfred would call and I would have another call at the same time. And they would say, why didn't you plan that with Alfred? We told you we got your schedule. You got to let us plan Alfred's call. And now I just kind of fall back and it's the greatest peace of mind. But it's submission. It's submitting to the people God put in your life to do that work for you. Same thing with the place; I have to fall back. We got a director, Latanya Jackson's directing piano lessons. She, she don't need me. You know, same directions on the stage. I come in there sometimes and I'll say, I wonder if he had his hands this way and if his body language was here. They look at me like if you don't get somewhere to sit down. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Listen, man. That's Listen, not your. Kamika, I think it's safe to say that we got the perfect guest to talk about being blessed to be a blessing. James, I want to dive in before you know Kamika jumps in. Um, because it's interesting. I am just now, as someone who's been going to Broadway shows since I was 19, mm, but just yeah. now getting my first taste of, of producing and supporting theater. I'm a patron of the Harold Washington Cultural Center in Chicago. I oh um, hosted the VIP Media Night for their play, that, for their return to live theater post pandemic, Queens of the Policy. And now they're bringing that to New York during Tony's Week. Um, the writer of the, and the global director of the Cultural Center is Jim Lee Tillman. And she's the writer of the play. And she brings a group to the Tonys every year. Um, right. And now I, I, I'm now going to do, for the first time, be an executive producer on that production when it comes to New York. So I'm really yes. fascinated. I don't think this is a coincidence that Gwen got you on the show. Because God's like, you need to talk to somebody <laughs> about what you're right. about to get into. But but talk to me about that. And by the way, I've seen Piano Lesson, the current version. So knowing you were a part of it is really great. But talk about each of the shows that you're doing and and, sure,
1: and how you got well, I'll back up first. For years, I was a booking agent for plays running up and down the East Coast. Nobody knew about it. Some mm-hmm. of Tyler Herzer's stuff, a guy named Shelly Garrett, a guy yep, named I Talbert. Garrett. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember David Talbert? Well, yeah. I was working all those plays behind the scenes as I was coming through undergrad and law school. I started with Phyllis Hyman in 88, 89. Wow. Phyllis sat me down and said, have you ever heard of being an entertainment lawyer? So I kept promoting shows, kept promoting shows, Guys would hire me to handle the region. They would say, Hey, we're coming from Boston to DC. I'm the national pro-promoter, promoter Alfred Edmond. Can you take this region? And I would, you know, young 20-something, go do radio, TV, flyer, street team, the whole nine. And then when I met Phyllis Hyman, she said, Why don't you go back and do entertainment law? So I went back to school. I thought I was gonna be a civil rights lawyer. And she turned me on the entertainment law. So I get out of school. I'm, excuse me. I'm in school and I'm doing those plays that I'm kind of embarrassed to talk about now. Where it's like, you know, our young black men are dying and nobody seems to care. Mama, Mama. Warner <laughs> Theater, October 1st through October 5th. Remember those dramatic? Yeah. Oh yeah. Shows? Yeah. <laughs> How do you love a black woman? You know, <laughs> Still Productions presents. Baby, do you love me? I was doing all of those plays for years. A
0: yeah. lot of a lot of careers came out of that, though. Yeah. Behind
1: the scenes. And then I moved into practicing law and started doing Mama I Want to Sing. And I was helping Vi Higginson with Mama I Want to Sing behind the scenes. Wow. And I was helping other plays and then got into the music game. And maybe about five, seven years ago, some Broadway folks approached me and said, hey, man, you have any interest of being a Broadway producer? You've always been in the play space. But I always thought I was on the chitlin circuit. I never thought, Mm -hmm. you know, I would be doing Broadway plays. And I met a sister from Selma named Aaliyah Harvey-Jones. And she yeah. had done Cat on a Hot Ten Roof. She had done, I think, A Streetcar Called Desire. She had done The Temptations Play. I mean, I can go on the list. She had done about 15 plays. And she handed me the MJ the Musical play, the, the deck for it. Then she handed me The Temptations deck. Then she handed me The Piano Lessons deck. Then she handed me The Museum deck. And one by one, I just started reviewing and reviewing. And now, between the two of us, we have MJ the Musical, Piano lesson, the museum, Temptations in broadway uh, in London, excuse me, the West End that starts in April, and Mandela in London. So check this
0: out, um, and, and, and Kamika, i to want you to jump in after this. Hmm. Um, MJ the musical I also saw early this year because one of the cast members actually came out of the Howard Washington Cultural Center when he oh, was a wow. kid. That's what's, how he got going? started, and so we, we we went to see MJ the musical because when it got his Tony. Again, Jim Lee Tillman was like, I got to go because now he's a Tony Award winning actor. And he started out as a uh, kid in Chicago, you know, um, learning, you know, learning the craft. Um, the other thing is, you say Phyllis Hyman. She's one of the few names you could say, and, I will, and it brings tears to my eyes. I got to interview her three times during the course of her career before wow. she departed us. The first time as a college student. Um, and she was just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. I um, credit so, yeah.
1: where I'm sitting down to Phyllis Hyman because she was the first person, I tease all the time, I do this imitation to Dr. Kamika, she was sitting at a bar in Georgetown, uh, we were at Blues Alley, and I had to pay her for coming to our show, and she said, she took her cigarette, like, so, you the young man promote the show, huh? So just kind of, you know, it's like this 40-year-old woman with this 21-year-old Howard student, and I was like, yes, ma'am, and she said, okay, I'm pretty sharp," sure. and just kind of puffed, she said, what are you going to do when you graduate, you're going to law school? I said, yes, ma'am, I'm going to law school. I want to be like Thurgood Marshall. I want to fight for my people. And that's when she said, have you ever thought about entertainment law? I had what? never heard the law, didn't know anybody in the field. And just as God would bless, I went to Howard and I had a professor named Spencer Boyer who had taught five of the top entertainment lawyers of all time, including Larkin Arnold. Wow. Producer of Thriller and as a lawyer, he was the head of black music at CBS in the 70s. He signed Luther Vandross, Natalie Cole, all these people, the Jacksons. And he was the executive producer of Thriller. And I got the same professor he had and got the law eventually. So I came out of Howard and it was just kind of like, God just is my classmates tell me all the time. They said it was like from day one at law school, we all knew you would be doing exactly what you're doing now. It was almost like script was written before you got to Howard. Like he's going to come here and go right into entertainment law.
2: Wow. Mm-hmm. I love that because we talked about, you know, it's a blessing to be a blessing and what Phyllis did for you was a blessing and I had the pleasure of here in Chicago at Theater 47, um, they did her life story and it was absolutely incredible. And so, you know, just knowing, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes that happened with her and her life, it just makes you just appreciate her even more as an artist and as a person human
1: being. I'm hoping we can do her movie or play or something with Glenda Garcia, her manager and her whole estate. If they ever prove that, I would love to be involved in some way, shape or form. I would volunteer. Just to say thank you. Two people I regret I didn't get to work with more is Phyllis and Luther Vandross. We were about to do Luther live at Radio City, a Valentine's show, when he got sick and passed away. His manager and I were in talks about doing a pay per view, Alfred, where wow. on Valentine's Day, you could beam Luther into your home. It was my idea, because remember, I was a promoter. So I was thinking, you know what? If we did Luther live on pay per view, it would just, it would be bananas. And the manager loved the concept.
0: Well, uh, anything we, happens, we that you do, I want in. I, I, I'll carry water. I'll be the usher. Whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, anything, anything.
2: Mr. Walker, I'm telling you, the young lady that they had, I mean, first of all, we know that voice was like no was. other. But the young lady that they had, you know, John Ruffins is the owner of the Theater 47 here in Chicago. So I, I'm i like a, you know, prime member. I'm actually going to say Imitation of Life. I want my sister in a couple of weeks. But when oh, I wow. tell you this young lady, she killed it. I mean, her voice was. You thought she would listen to Phyllis. I mean, incredible. So you can probably go to their website to see who she was, but she did a phenomenal job as Phyllis Hyman.
0: Okay. James, you've been very, um, you know, as we expected you to talk about the the places where God touched you, turned you, introduced you to people. Um, But as Kamika said, your mindset about not just seeing it as something happening to you, but something that things happen for other people. Um, Talk about, you know, first of all, to start with, uh, you know what, I want to come back after the break because I don't, I don't want to burn up that time. Uh, okay. But I do want you to, to go into kind of your approach to everything that you've done with your law career. And, you know, I'm looking at God first, family, and mm-hmm. faith as kind of the framework.
1: Well, I say from. I know we got to hit the break, but I always say God, family, and church. That's kind God, of always family, and church. Problem. So my God is first. Of course, when we wake up in the morning, we give praise to God for waking us up and giving us our facilities and our faculties. And then family. Is our family okay? Checking on family, the kids, the husband, the wife, whatever you have, your grandmother, grandparents. And then your church. You know, like for me, my commitment to my church, tithing, fasting, hearing a word from your pastor. My pastor preached a great word this Sunday. I'm at Eagle's Nest in Atlanta with Lee Jenkins as a pastor. But um, that, to me, starts my whole life. All this other stuff is just kind of what I do, you know, to pay bills, have fun, and employ, excuse me, employ and empower people.
0: See, that's important because this show is about, uh, again, abundant life. Where we talk about wealth and finance. But it's important for people to see the framework right. of a person who's successful in business and in these other areas in the context of your relationship with, with our Heavenly Father. So listen, you listen to Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. It's me, Kamika Smith, with attorney, Esquire James Walker. We'll be right back.
3: Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network.
0: This is Be Listed Up, and we're talking about being blessed to be a blessing. Kamika, mm. James set us up. He said, God first, family, and church. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but that really is a very simple but deep framework from which to operate. And you, you lead business women and inspire business women. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what does that framework mean to you as, as James sets up to fill us in on those? Yeah, it's, it's interesting
2: because I have a similar, you know, triangle that I use, but I said God, family, business, I put God and the church together as one, as my so, head, and then family, and then business, because God has, you know, created me as a business leader, and so that's how I operate, so I love that intention on God in the church that James talked about, because, you know, everything starts and ends with the Father, you know, and so I, I love how you've been able to create all these different entities, but even. And within everything, there is a center around God and faith and blessing others. And so, you know, I would like to know from you, James, you know, how how does one get to the space to where they're able to, you know, operate all these different entities, but then also still, you know, be able to bless other people and be present in that blessing?
1: That's a good question. Um, For me, a lot of fasting. Every January, I start my new year off with coming off social media. I get off Facebook, which I'm using there talking junk about my cowboys or my kids and how proud of them I am and just other tidbit stuff. But every January, we used to do a Daniel fast in our church where you eat certain foods. And this year, I just started doing intermittent fasting where I just eat mm-hmm. 12 to eight and I'm very mindful and I feel like it just gives me a clear space. And I also try to make sure when you empower people, let them be empowered. So if you got staffers or you got business partners or you got people who do what they do, Don't micromanage. Sometimes as attorneys, we can micromanage and we can over talk stuff. And I've learned like recently, just fall back. Let them do what they do and watch the results and watch God. And people will make mistakes. And I think in the beginning of my career, 20 plus years ago, I used to think Alfred had to be 100% James Walker to work with me. About five, seven years ago, I realized Alfred might come to me 80% of James Walker and how I might do things. But if his heart is open and he's willing to grow and I'm willing to grow, we could probably complement each other and get that other 20% in. And I think that was the big pendulum shift that I made five or seven years ago. As the kids got grown and they got into their careers and their lives, now they're 20, 24, 27 and 29. I don't have to be as involved. I was always the baseball dad as Alfred knows, the football dad the daughter playing tennis, the daughter doing cheerleading in the Rifle Club. I couldn't really count. So I gave each kid two activities and didn't realize with four kids, that's eight activities. <laughs> and it turned into like a little bit of a nightmare. Thank God I worked for myself because I could just leave every day at three and go pick one up from practice, get to one's karate lesson, get to one's football and get back and get the other one from her McDonald's job. And we did that for a while until somebody got their license. And then it was like, okay, you the older sibling, you can do it. But to your question, it really is just trusting God and not being so hard on people that Mm. you expect them to do like you do. This is Walker & Associates. It's not Wilkerson & Associates. It's not Knight & Associates. And it's not Burden & Associates. Those are my staffers' last names. This is Walker & Associates. So they might not come at this with 120% like I do every day. You hope they do. They might have their own struggles going on. So I've become, I think, a lot more patient And i become a lot more deliberate in making sure, is their wellness okay? Is your car okay? Do you have a condo? Do you have a house? What do we do? My young girl, she's a senior at Spelman. And I said to her, I said, we need to get you a condo this spring. I said, you and my son are both 20. I want both of y'all to go out and bid on houses. She's looking. He bid on one last Monday up at Eastern. He didn't get it, but I was proud of him at 20 that he went out and bid it on. Not just a house, but he was buying a four-bedroom so that he could rent three of them to his teammates. And keep one for himself, like his older brother is doing up in D.C., where his brother practices law in D.C. and New York. That sounds like a
0: generational wealth creation to me. So, Uh, But uh, what I think uh, I want you to address in this framework of of God, family and church, Mm -hmm. you know, I do a lot of things and people always ask me, how do you find time Mm -hmm. to do everything? I say that I say no to things so I can say yes to other things. and the ability especially again you're someone who does a lot of things now you obviously you have your law firm the broadway you know just a father and i would say if you have a Mm -hmm. framework and in your case god family and church then Mm -hmm. you have a way to decide what to do and what not to do because too many choices is a bad thing if you don't really know what you're doing so Mm -hmm. talk to me about god family and church particularly as a framework for knowing how to make choices as you go through your day. If you manage your commitment, you decide where you're gonna put your time and your energy and your money so that the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts. Where we both know, all three of us know people who are doing a lot of stuff. They're busy, but they're not getting anything done.
1: That's right. Ooh, woo, say that again. Um, for me, it is first you gotta pray over it. People come to me every day with, hey, man, we're doing a hotel. You want to be in on it? Hey, man, we're doing an apartment complex. Hey, we're doing an album with so-and-so. We know it's going to sell through the roof. Do you want to put some money in this? Or do you want me? And the first thing I do is I pause them and I say, let me go pray about it. Mm -hmm. Let me pray about it. If it's not from God, no matter how good it looks on paper, and I'm sure you're going to make money. But I tell people all the time, don't do things just because they make money. Do things that really are true to your mission. They're true to your faith core. They're true to your family time. They don't conflict with what you're trying to do with your children or your spouse because you can get in things in Atlanta and be working day and night and making money, but be miserable because they're taking away from your love, your passion. Your passion might be restaurants. I want you to do a hotel. That has nothing to do with your passion. Yeah, you might make money. And I think when you get over 40, you get a certain age, you start learning like, hey, it's no longer about, I just want to make money. It's more about, do I like the people I'm working with? The sister I told you all about earlier, Leah Harvey Jones. I like her. She's a good sister, a Spelman sister. We just enjoy working with each other. In seven years, I don't think we've had an ugly word. If it's been seven, it might have been five. I lost track. But she'll just send something to me and say, hey, you might want to be in on this. And because of the joy we have working together, I'll write back, I'm in. Look, how much do you need? And then, you know, we get her a check and I'm in. And then I fall back. I pray about it. And then I fall back and let God do what he do. And I really believe if you get into something that you have prayed about and you get in it from a standpoint of God, if I'm blessed here, I'm going to go bless others. So the money we made on Broadway, I've already helped plant two churches, mm-hmm. one in Connecticut. My cousin is doing and my pastor here. We just brought a 13 million dollar facility here in uh, Alpharetta Roswell area. We're buying like a shopping mall, basically it used to be a cold store, a CVS. A pet stop, whatever it's called, pet store. So we're buying that. And when pastor came and said, this is how much money we need, a group of us stepped in and said, okay, let's underwrite the down payment to get them in. So I gave, you know, a very significant amount there and I will continue to give because for me, every time you get these blessings, your yeah. first question to yourself has to be, how can I help other people?
2: Right. If
1: I go help somebody else and do God's work, he's gonna do what the scripture says, right? Mm-hmm seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added, right? I'm paraphrasing it for the interest of time, but the gist of the scripture is if I seek ye first his kingdom, which to me means help his kingdom, help his kingdom. My cousin has a church in Bridgeport that is, I think, 50,000 square feet in Bridgeport, Connecticut, my hometown. When it came time to get in, I said, cuz, what you need? Let's get in this. So we started representing him legally. He opened the church up a few months ago. He's doing phenomenal. It's his second church. He has one in New Haven and one in Bridgeport. To me, that's what you do when you get these blessings. You start figuring out where can I pour them back in? Where can I give? Where can I give my time? Where can I give my money? Where do I pray at? If you do that, it just becomes a ripple effect. Because God sees now that you're responsible with the gifts, the talents, and the resources that he's given you. So he knows I can trust Alfred. I can trust Dr. Kamika. I can trust Gwen. If I give it to them, they're not going to become self-absorbed, be making music videos where they're dancing and they're drinking and they're you know going wild. And I'm not judging those people because I know those those folks help people too. But I'm just not trying to be seen. I'm not trying to be seen. I'm trying to see that others can get to Broadway like Alfred, and others can get to their law firm life. We have put, I think, a hundred kids have gotten scholarships. I checked with my son. We've given out 100 book scholarships, paid for LSATs for Black kids. Kids stop me when I'm home and say, hey, you paid for my LSAT three years ago. I just graduated from Howard. That is the greatest feeling. when We can see hundreds of kids say they got a book scholarship from me or my son or us together. The same thing with this law firm. We've had about 100 kids come through here as interns, including two we interviewed today from Spelman that'll probably join us this summer. So to me, that's pouring it back in and just giving back what God gave you
2: we have with us an incredible i I call him a renaissance man i'm just listening to everything he's talking about james walker jr esq and i wanted to come back into the conversation james because he talks to you about so many different things when it comes to being a blessing to others but we know that charity starts at home and so we talk about legacy and creating generational wealth and you know you mentioned some things that you're doing with your children around real estate around giving back with philanthropy how do you start to set your children up for success and kind of teaching them those principles of giving and and being a blessing to others?
1: My four children grew up in a house where their mom and I were entrepreneurs. We always had apartment buildings, medical buildings, legal business buildings, as well as other smaller businesses. So at a very young age, if Gwen can tell you, she would come to our home and our children would be serving at the Christmas party. Our children would be doing coat check for tips at our Christmas parties. Mm-hmm. That evolved into our children being the ones who collected our rents. I would send them to Hartford. We had 50 apartments. I would send them up to Hartford. I would let them go door to door and knock on doors. Mr. Edmund, I'm James Jr. I'm here to get the rent. And, you know, Mr. Edmonds would pay my son. My son come down to the car. Mr. Edmonds was $80 short. Dad, he said he's going to get a check-in Friday. And he wants to know if he can pay later. And I'd say, sure, son. He'd write a note. But it taught him. So fast forward, he graduated mm-hmm. from Howard, in 2017 and he comes to me he said dad you told me when I was helping you if I finished college you would buy me a house I said really did I say that he said yeah you told me if you graduate if I graduated with honors you buy me a house I called his grandmother up, I said mom did I ever say I would buy him a house what was I thinking? because you just say things as parents you never think they listen <laughs> but of course he would right. then. so right before he got into law school 2017 we bought a house in DC for 350,000 and yeah. he Four tenants in Senate. He was 21 at the time. We closed the house on July 31st or August 1st that year. They had the pinning ceremony at the law school that afternoon. After we closed the, the house, we went and had some eat. You know, I said, "What are we doing now, son?" He said, oh, they're having some pinning ceremony at the law school. I don't know if I'm going to go." I said, "Oh, we going. We going. I'm pinning you." So we went to the ceremony, and I got the pin him. And, he, and I even saw another dad there whose daughter had went to Howard too. So I got the pin him. Then two years later, he called me said, "Dad, I got a job at Kirkland. I'll be working in New York." I need a place in Brooklyn. I'm going to rent son. I'm calling Charlie Lewis. He works with real estate finance center. I said, son, we don't rent, we buy. Mm-hmm. And that right there has been the theology for my kids their whole life. We don't rent, we buy. We mm-hmm. own our office building here, our office building in Connecticut, we own the office building in New Haven County, Stanford County, I mean, Pittsburgh County, and Harford. We do not rent. So we got him a condo in Brooklyn. I think we paid about $550 for it. So now you have a young man who's 27. 28 Mm -hmm. this week with over a million dollars in because of the appreciation of the two. And he's teaching his brothers and sisters, like this is working out for me. I'm practicing law, but I have a home in Brooklyn and a home in DC when I come back on the weekend and I got tenants in a home in DC. So that's how we taught them. We always taught them, you know, you give your 10% and watch Mm -hmm. God do the rest and you make sure you look at your finances from a standpoint of retiring, from a standpoint of preparing for a rainy day. So when his brother called me last week and said he was bidding on a house up in Eastern, right near Hartford, Willimantic is the town, I was in tears because I said, my baseball player is now thinking about generational wealth. He's always been the baseball guy. His brother's the businessman. His sister's a realtor. His other sister, she won the Fulbright. So she's always been the bookworm of the four. She won the Fulbright. Now she's in law school. But they're all starting to think now, like, hey, wait brother ham broham got two places and we need to get something but they've always been involved family businesses and i've always told them you find it i'll give you the down payment give you the loan you need and get you kind of going yeah good stuff but it's subject to you got to do your part in school like all of the kids have been on honor roll it doesn't happen Mm. if you're not doing your part and they're all very clear i like the fact that he said to me you promised if i graduated from howard with honors you'd buy me a house yes
2: he remembered that thing (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so we hired an agent and went out in D.C. and found a house in Hyatt'sville. And it's a very nice house. And I had just told him, buy a two-bedroom. He bought six so he could rent out for it. Smart so young man. That's the way you know he's thinking. But God is good. And it'll, I let them all know it comes back to faith. The struggle now for parents is you have a kid working at Kirkland, yeah. probably making three or 400000 a year, has seven-figure real estate. How do you keep him humble? How do you keep mm. him close to? when he has, you know, the lifestyle of a a young, basically a young pro athlete in some ways, maybe not the star athlete, but you know, a very good significant income, he and his girlfriend, she practices law, same firm. So trying to keep him humble has been the new challenge for me as a father. You can't- I I, I, I
0: wanted to ask you about that because we are talking about, you know, tell people if it's not multi-generational, it's not wealth. And that includes the principles and the values that you teach. Um, And we are, you know, there's always, I know I went through it. I was raised in the church, but there was a period in my 20s and 30s and 40s, and I would say even still, um, you know, um, you found my new, my new church home in Chicago during the pandemic. But we all know as parents, you, you raise your children, but once they become adults, you, the, the arrow has left the bow and you got to mm-hmm. just you know, continue to pray, uh, but yeah, they got to find their own way and their own path. Talk to me about what steps that you and and your wife took for this blessed to be a blessing principle to be at least planted in your children during their upbringing. Um, And to what degree that you just got to pray and trust that at some point at different times in their lives, it it takes root and it blossoms in a way that's according to God's will and timing, Mm -hmm. not necessarily your will and timing as a parent.
1: One Mm -hmm. of the things we did when Gwen would come to our parties, we had... Couple of million dollar homes in Connecticut, one in Stanford, one in Monroe. We rented the one in Stanford out to Rockham and we kept the one in Monroe. And then we opened a halfway house in Hartford. And the kids would come up, my sons would come up on Saturday and help me at the halfway house. So they were meeting men coming home from prison. And those mm-hmm. men were pouring into my sons, we were pouring to them. My daughters also helped with the real estate. So they saw us and we had properties in Section 8 neighborhoods. We weren't buying you no know, high end properties all the time. So they really saw us trying to be a blessing. I said we're not here to just be a landlord collecting money, but we know Miss Doris on the third floor has a daughter at UConn. So we're asking her, how's your daughter doing? Can we give her a book scholarship? Can she come work on our firm one day? You know, we're we're having that relationship with the tenants. And I'm still very close to a lot of my tenants, even though I've been in Atlanta now 10 years, a lot of them are still on Facebook with me, including some of the men who came through our halfway house. So to your question, Alfred, we just tried to show them by serving When I was at the church, I was a musician, if you want to call it that. I played a little piano. And on Sundays, me and some of the staff would go over to the elderly centers, go over to the hospitals. The kids would tag along, so they saw that. Even with the Christmas parties, we would do a food drive. If you wanted to come to the party and you wanted to see your favorite gospel artist performing in my living room, you were required to bring some canned goods, required to bring something. So the morning after Christmas party, we might have a truck full of food going to the Atlanta food shelter or the greater Hartford food shelter or some other Atlanta kitchen somewhere so the kids could see this is what it's really about. You see the celebrities, you see the monies, you see the cases I win, but this is what it's really about. And we've won, I want to say this, we've probably won all of the biggest cases on the gospel music side, including the one we're about to announce next week, which will probably be the biggest one on the gospel music side. And we've also freed about 230 or 40 artists from bad contracts. Wow. So my kids have seen that and they've seen me pour the money back in to certain things as the money come in. They've never seen me go buy a new car or a new coat or a new suit. I didn't get my first tailor suit until my son got to Kirkland and he sent me two tailor suits. He said, dad, I need you to start dressing like my chairman of my corporate department. And he brought mm-hmm. me into New York and to Brooklyn and said, as soon as I walked in, a guy walked in behind me and I'm thinking, what's going on? He said, oh, oh that's that's my tailor, dad. He's going to take your measurements. And two weeks later, I got two suits, custom-made, tailored with your name and all that. My son paid for it time. because I never showed them in life. I showed them, we keep it simple, we keep it basic, Sears, maybe a Macy's here and there, but I lived a very basic, non-thrills life when it came to fashion and sneakers and shoes because I never wanted them to get caught up in that stuff. Right. We lived in neighborhoods where kids caught up in that stuff. And I was real big on, you're going to cut the grass, James. Jordan, you're going to pick the weaves. Joy, you're going to do the dishes. And Zion, you're going to sweep the bathrooms. And they had to clean and sweep the bathrooms and do all that stuff. And today they will tell you we're better as adults because we're in college or we're in life with kids who don't know how to do it.
0: Wow, man. Yeah. an entire word. We are running out of time like we always do with our great guests. The takeaway I just take from everything you just said about your kids, and I saw it with, with our, the founder of Black Enterprise who made Butch and Johnny and Michael Graves mow lawns and you know, he said, "You're my lawn care company. I don't need to hire one." Right. <laughs> you know, but, the, the, the biggest takeaway take is that you show you don't tell your kids what to do; you show them what to do. You exactly. know, it's the example. Mm-hmm. And so many times, especially with wealthier and families mm-hmm. who are better off, the parents are telling the kids one thing, but they're doing something oh, else. Right. They're doing, they're they're bawling out and telling the kid to be humble and to be exactly. mindful and be grateful. So, but listen, James. <laughs> We just want to thank you so much for joining us on Be Lifted Up. Um real quickly, you know, what's the name of your book? I believe you have a book and oh, uh, the best album. way to follow you on social or keep up with what you're doing.
1: Sure, the book is This Business of Urban Music and it's Random House and it's done very well. And then the social media is James Walker Jr. Esq. James Walker Jr. Esq. And I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. I'm about to turn it over to somebody, but I do check it. I just don't have the time anymore to post or follow up. So I'm going to have to let that go. Oh, you don't
0: even um, have to apologize and explain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then um, the scripture I would leave you all with is my favorite, the one in the Bible that says that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that shall bring forth fruit in due season. And whatever he do, shall not prosper. I'm saying it fast. or so maybe leaving a word out, but that's the scripture I turn to every day. Be like that tree planted by the rivers of water. And I like to say still waters because that's always been my nickname from college. So be like the tree planted by the still waters and bring forth. Your- Man.
0: Thanks for the word, brother. Thanks for everything you're doing. Thank you for, you know, Kamika, like we said, being blessed to be a blessing. Thanks for bringing it. Thanks for being a guest, James on Be Listed Up, Your Guide to Living an Abundant Life.
1: Thank you all, and thank Gwen for having me. And Alfred, you know how much respect I have for you, man. I just, you know, I want you to write the story when I decide to talk about all this in the public. I've turned down about seven interviews with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution because God keeps telling me, not yet, not yet. Mm. Want to do a feature on, you know, a guy in Atlanta that's doing these plays and winning cases in the law firm and four kids. And I'm like, God just said, nope not yet mm-hmm. so when he releases it then i'm gonna sit down with somebody but i haven't told my story anywhere my pastor just found out sunday some of the stuff i was doing after church and i said i gotta go to new york because piano lesson closes out and he was like man you doing piano lesson you know because i hadn't told him like how big it was he knew about it but now he's kind of really getting the full breadth of it because it's overwhelming and you don't want to seem like you're talking about yourself at church you know or anywhere really
0: yep i understand i understand Oh, my God, Kamika, we just got blessed by a serious word. Again, we all know about being blessed to be a blessing, but James really, really brought home what that meant, not only for him, but it, multiple generations. Man, we're talking about a serious example of being blessed to be a blessing. What were your takeaways from what we shared with James?
2: Oh, my God. You know, James, I just enjoyed his Humility in the conversation, I mean, this truly is a Renaissance man, attorney, Broadway producer, author, entrepreneur, and man of God, man of faith, and so that to me is always encouraging. you know, I love what he talked about you know in managing all these multiple entities as a business um owner and as an entrepreneur, also making sure to keep God first, right so he said God, family, you know business uh the church. Those are his pillars, and that's how he lives his life and I think for us as believers, we can all learn something from kind of having that at our forefront, you know that God first um and then just you know allowing people to be and be genius. I think that was something that was really encouraging for me, you know, to just hear um those that you work with those those that you are called to kind of support, giving them the room to. Uh, grow and and giving them the grace to make mistakes and not looking for your twin, but also just you know acknowledging the gifts that God has given you know all of us. So I mean, just a powerful conversation. And then that legacy piece with his children, I think that everyone listening that our parents can take something away from that. You know, what is the scripture? Train up a child um, the way they should go. That scripture really stood out for me as James was talking about his children and what they're doing, the wonderful things that they're doing.
0: Well, as we said, it was a whole word. Listen, this is Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. Um, you can catch this show and all our other episodes at mochapodcastnetwork.com. That's because we're part of the Mocha Podcast with an S network. You can catch us on Sirius XM 141 HUR Voices on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. And you can follow us across all social media platforms at B, the letter B, Lifted Up Radio. That's B, the letter B, Lifted Up Radio. I'm Alfred Edmond Jr. I'm here with my co-host, Kamika Smith, sitting in for DC Marshall. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. It's Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life.
3: Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network.